Hey everyone, how you doing? Hello, yes, so quickly about life. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Isaac. Um, life, it is truly life-changing. It has five to 6,000 young students, and that is for students in eighth grade through 12th grade. So if you're an eighth grader through 12th grader, that's for you, and we have to have a parent meeting because there's a lot to talk about, a lot of details that I'm, my brain's all mush from that. So that is next week. Please be there, spread the word. It's gonna be great. All right, so quickly, let me tell you a story about Mike. I remember when I was in college, I was single and lonely and a melancholy mope. And I was walking around Walmart one day, and this is a true story, and I had three things in my uh, cart. It was Doritos, Lucky Charms, and ice cream. Yes, and I remember looking at my cart going, wow, this is sad. And then I happened to run into my pastor at, from the church I was going to, and I was like, hey, and he took one look at uh, my cart, and he, you know, was trying to hold back a smirk going, hey, and uh, he quickly invited me over to his, his house that night for what he called Friendsgiving, and so it was right around this time of year uh, that this was going on, and I remember walking up to his house, hearing all the commotion that was going on inside of his house, and I knocked on the front door. Here's what did not happen. They didn't stop everything and make Mike the center of attention. Oh, let's all stop, go to the front door. Hey, how are you? Let's take your coat, let's make it all about you. Here come. Like they didn't, they didn't do that. They, they went, hey you, get in here, grab a plate. Here you want some mashed potatoes? Here, grab the baby, and I'm like, ah. And they just like, it was crazy commotion. And then I'm in you know, conversations with lots of people and I'm just like, whoa, this is nuts. But they didn't make me the center of attention. I was just in the middle of this like family of believers, lots of different people. Hours later, when I left, my soul was nourished. What was crazy about that was I was never the center of attention. I was just invited into the love already taken place. Now, why do I tell you that story? Well, have you ever felt like lonely? And I don't mean like, oh, an hour to myself. Gee, what do I do? I'm all alone. No, that's not what I mean. I mean the real loneliness that no matter how many people you're around, how busy you are, you just feel alone. You feel that? Kind of like how I imagine orphans would feel hoping that they get adopted but never do. That's how I felt walking around Walmart that night. Here's my ice cream. Lonely like an orphan, hoping someone would notice. A few weeks ago, Pastor John talked about Jesus' ascension, and I noticed that Jesus says some really interesting things. When Jesus is about to physically leave earth, he says to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. Now, if I'm a disciple, I'm going, wait, wait, what? Jesus, you're leaving? Like, I feel like an orphan now. Jesus, we dropped everything for you, and now you're leaving? And then Jesus says something even stranger. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. What? Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Why did Jesus say that? Welcome to week five of our series, Creed, where today we answer that question. Why did Jesus say it would be better if he left and the advocate, the Holy Spirit, came? 
So in keeping with the rhythm of this series, let's stand together and recite this creed. Come on, I know it's your favorite part. Here we go. All right. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. You're getting so good at that. Today, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. But before we do, let's remember why we're going through this creed. Why do we ask you to stand and recite this creed? It's so that you would know what it is you say you believe, so that you would know. And so that you can know God better so you can know him deeper, so you can know him more personal than ever before. And in order to do that, you have to know where you're starting from. So let me ask you the question, what do you think about God? Like when you think about God, what do you think about? And when you think about your communion with him, how you exchange, how you relate to God, what do you think about? Those are two different questions. One is a question of role, what's the role, and one is of relationship, how do we relate? An example would be my youth pastor when I was growing up, when I was in high school, he was this like big bear of a guy, and his name was also Mike, it's a good name, and and if you asked me, what do you think of your youth pastor, Mike, I would say, okay, word association, big, scary, passionate, intimidating, words like that. When I thought of my pastor, Mike, I think power. When I think of my communion with him, I think of love. Because whenever I showed up at youth group, he'd make it, he'd make it feel like it was the first time he ever saw me. Hey, Mike. He'd give me this big smile, give me this big bear hug. He'd like pat my shoulders, you know, like my knees buckle. How's it going? He would sit me down and then like he would ask me about my life. He'd want to know every detail that happened. Like, Mike, it's only been seven days. I know. Tell me, tell me. I felt his love. I knew he loved me. So when I think of my old youth pastor, I think power. And when I think of my communion with him, how I relate to him, I think love. Now today, we're talking about the Spirit. But Pastor John previously talked about God the Father, God the Son. So if you want to hear more, you know, I encourage you to go back and listen to those messages. But quickly though, when we think about how we commune with God the Father. Remember, the creed calls him the Father Almighty. The Bible gives one word over and over and over again. May the love of God be with you all. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. That's John three sixteen. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we we're sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5. What we're meant to think about when we think about him, is love. He loves us. He loves you. And when we think about communing with him, how we relate, the greatest commandment 
we need to love him back. Okay, what about God the Son? What about Jesus? The creed refers to Jesus as our Lord. When you think of Jesus, what do you think about? Okay, and when you think about communing with him, what does he, you know, what does he think of you? What do you think about? Well, first, I, I think that he is the explanation of God. Jesus is the explanation of God. If you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. Do you want to know what God thinks of the poor? Look at how Jesus would move towards them to meet their needs. You want to see how he treats someone who is completely broken? Watch his tenderness to the wayward. Watch his gentleness with children. If you want to see what God is like, Jesus has explained him. If you want to know God, look at God the Son. But when we think about relating to Jesus, how we relate, we think grace. We think kindness extended. What do I mean by that? I mean his graciousness, his choice to be kind. The word grace assumes that you have a need and I have a source to stoop down and meet that need. It's kindness. It's not merit. I don't earn our way. He freely gives it to us. And now we're at the point in the creed where we get to talk about God, the Holy Spirit. What's the role? How do we relate? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is he? Well, I would say that the Holy Spirit is the intimate and animating presence of God, the eternal presence of God. I'm not just making that up. You get that from Scripture. In Hebrew, the word spirit, the word wind, the word breath, it's all the same word in Genesis 1. Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the waters of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Just like God the Father, like just like Jesus the Son, the Spirit has always been. He too is eternal. He too is God. He did not just come to be after Jesus left. He always was. The Spirit always was. And you see here in Genesis 1, He is near the water, right there with the Father and the Son. We'll get to that in a minute. But that doesn't mean he was just like, you know, sitting there like flapping, like hovering over the waters. That's not what it means. It's also used in one other passage in Deuteronomy, talking about a mother bird caring for her young. There is an intimacy to it. I'm taking care of something. The Spirit of God is close. He is the intimate presence of God. And then you see in Genesis chapter 2 when God creates man. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed, there it is, into his nostrils the breath of life. All the same word. The wind of God. The breath of God animates us. It's the Spirit of God giving us life. So who is he? What's his role? He's the animating and intimate presence of God. The Spirit of God giving us life. There's a lot more that could be said here, but for the sake of time, let me move on to how, how he relates to us. What role does the Holy Spirit play in our lives? Why did Jesus say, we need him? It's good for me to go. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. Why did he say that? Well, here's what Jesus says, continuing John, in John 16, verse 8. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay, so number one, ready for it? Here we go. The Spirit convicts. Yeah. Jesus continues to unpack what he means by those three things. Concerning sin, 
because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgments because the ruler of this world is judged. We see that the resurrection, the ascension that John previously talked about, show the world to be wrong. It convicts the world about the justice of Jesus' crucifixion and proves that they're guilty. The Holy Spirit's work is to make that clear and personal in each of our lives, each of our hearts. And you've experienced that personally. When the Holy Spirit is first moving in your life, what does he do? He begins by complicating things. And some of you are like, mm-hmm, I know that right now. It is to show you you're not okay. There's something not right. And many of you feel that. Maybe that's what brought you here this morning. You're like, I'm a capable human being. I can earn a paycheck. I can pay for things. I can build friendships. And yet I feel a desperate disconnect and isolation. I still feel like an orphan at Walmart. I'm not okay. And that's concerning, but that's what the Spirit of God does. Often the Spirit will mess with you to show you, yeah, you're not okay. It's the understanding that you're broken that leads you to want to find healing. Like none of you walked in this morning like thinking about your pinky toe, right? Like, oh, my pinky toe feels great. No, but if your pinky toe is broken, you'd be like, whoa, pinky toe. You don't think about it until it starts hurting you. The Spirit reveals where you're broken. C.S. Lewis, a 20th century intellectual giant and arguably one of the most influential writers of his day. He wrote books like Mere Christianity and The Chronicles of Narnia. He talks about this. He said, I was the most reluctant convert in all of England. I didn't want to become a Christian, but God just kept messing with me, showing me every philosophy that I pursued was insufficient. And finally, begrudgingly convincing me that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then he wrote his autobiography about it, Surprised by Joy. That's what the Spirit does. He convicts you and then convinces you. He convicts you and then he convinces you. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Jesus says he will teach you. He will remind you about me, about Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. He shows you your brokenness and then leads you to the great physician. This past summer, I took a group of students to camp. And one night, there was an altar call moment where the speaker told everyone about Jesus and and he had kids come forward. And seven of our students accepted Christ that night. It was a great moment. And then after that, we all met up that night and, and we, you know, as a big group to unpack all that had happened. And so I get there, I go, okay, tell me what's going on. You know, what's going on in your heart? And one of them said, man, he was just like talking about God, like really loves you no matter what. And like he died for you. I just never heard that before. And I thought, yes, you have. I've said it a lot. <laughs> okay. You know, trying to keep straight face, straight face, okay. And then I thought, you know, he's right. I said it in his presence. But it was like Jesus warned some souls are like hard ground, and the seed of his word just, you know, just, just bounces off. 
Maybe this was just the time the soil of his soul was soft and the seed found its root. It's been spoken in his presence, but maybe this was just the first time he actually heard it. And that's what the Spirit does. Convicts you and convinces you. You're broken, he's a healer. And the Spirit is Christ-exalting. What do I mean by that? That's what Jesus said in John 16. He says, He will glorify me. Here lies one of the most important sentences about the Holy Spirit in the entire Bible. He will glorify me. Specifically, the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ's resurrection glory and his achievements over sin and Satan on the cross. That's the peak. That's the apex of the glory of Christ in the gospel. But you cannot glorify Christ for that if he didn't do that yet. That's why Jesus took, said to his disciples, hey, I got to go do that. And then the Spirit will glorify me for doing that. So how do you know if you have a Spirit-filled church? It glorifies Jesus. Okay, how? Well, whether it's, it's singing or, or how you were greeted when you first came or how you talk to each other or how be, behind this podium the Word of God is preached. It all points... It all gives you a direction, directs your attention to Jesus. Because Jesus says, the Spirit is going to glorify me. The Holy Spirit is not looking for the spotlight. He's actually the one running the spotlight. The guy running the spotlight isn't going up there going, okay, now it's my turn! Like, no, he doesn't do that. He points your direction. A good spotlight guy points your direction where you got to go on the stage. Let me help you get all your attention where it should go. And the Holy Spirit says, I want your attention on Jesus. I want you to see him. God the Father is the architect of your salvation. Jesus is the builder of it. And the Holy Spirit is the real estate agent. Hey, come in here. The Spirit is Christ-exalting, glorifies Jesus. Okay, and the Spirit leads you, it, it guides you, in accordance with Scripture. Jesus says he is the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of God loves the Word of God. He inspired it, Second Peter. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. How did we get the Word of God, all the things that make up your Bible? Paul told Timothy, it's God-breathed. This is the breath of God on page but the Spirit of God inspired people to write it down. So how do you know if you're being led by the Spirit? I get that question all the time. How do I know the Spirit is leading me? How do I know that, you know, which voice is His? His voice will always lead you and guide you in accordance with Scripture. I tell students, if you're looking outside the four corners of that book, you're looking in the wrong place. And when it comes to you, when he comforts you, when he comes to you and he messes your life up and complicates things, convicts you, exalts Christ, say, hey, he points to Scripture, what does he do then? You go, oh, I'm broken. He goes, it's okay, I comfort you. The Spirit comforts you. Another way to translate that, you know, is helper. That's what he wants to be. He wants to be the one to hold your hand, the one walking beside you. One, once you know you are his... His spirit testifies to your spirit. You know that you are a child of God. You're mine. God loves you. 
You can't break from that. When you go through the fires of life, his spirit will be with you and comfort you. But he doesn't just comfort, right? He challenges. Galatians 5 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of your flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. When you have the Spirit of God in you, you have a contrary influence. You used to do whatever you wanted, but when the Spirit is in you, he says, no, doing whatever you wanted is not freedom. It wasn't freedom. It led you down a lot of broken roads. So I'm leading you a different way. He comforts, it's okay, you're mine, and then he challenges. I love you right where you are, but love you too much to let you stay that way. When the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father comes to you, you get the fellowship of the Spirit. He's not going to let you continue down broken roads. He's going to lead you on the path of life, and he will challenge you. Once orphans have been adopted, what happens? Fathers don't just let you go. You know, okay, they guide you, they lead you, they comfort you, and then they challenge. Hey, this is how we do things in this house. And some of you have felt that discomfort, right? You felt it. I want to follow God according to my terms, on, on, my, on my terms. And God's like, that's not, that's not how it works. Yes, you follow me, and I love you no matter what's going on, but then I will challenge you for your good. And the Spirit gives you capacity. Galatians puts it, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He gives me the capacities that I, I don't have. Okay, so if you have a favorite apple, right? Think of your favorite apple in your head right now. Go ahead. Favorite apple. Okay, good. Go. And I asked you, I'm not going to, don't worry, it's okay, to stand up and grow the apple out of your arm. How long would that take you? Forever. Because you can't. You can't grow an apple out of your arm. So what do you want? What do you do if you want an apple? You have to go to an apple tree. You have to go to the source. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's not the fruit of the Spirit is love. So be loving. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. So be joyful. That's, that's, not, that's not what it is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You have to go there and receive that. Not work hard to get it. And if you want the fruit, you go to him. And it's also one fruit. My dad tells me this all the time. Mike, it's one fruit. It's one fruit. It's not nine different ones. We pick and choose. Ah, I'm good on the joy part. Not so much on the self-control part. Mm. And that's, what, that's why Galatians says, so if you live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. Continue in step with the Spirit. Because I need him close by me every single moment of the day. Me, personally, I need it every day, every moment. I pray this way all the time. God, I'm walking into this meeting, and I don't love that person the way you do. So would you help me love them? God, I'm not feeling a lot of joy right now. 
Give me your peace in the middle of this chaos. <laughs> the screaming baby at 1 a.m. <laughs> the Spirit gives you capacity. And the Spirit leads you to commune with God, to be close to Him, and communion with each other. Ephesians 2 says this, For through Him we both have our access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers, no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The Spirit not only wants us to commune with God, but wants you to commune with each other. The Spirit is community-driven. He loves the church. He loves binding us together. I love seeing formerly different, unaffiliated people come together. People that had nothing in common being bound together in Christ. I love that. And the last thing is that the Spirit confirms. He confirms that you're His. Romans 8, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. He confirms you. You are his. The spirit leading you is the spirit witnessing in your life that you are God's. That's what witnesses do. They provide evidence of reality. The spirit confirms, witnesses to, gives evidence to who you are. If you walk in the spirit, you're a child of God. Okay, whew, the Holy Spirit convicts, convinces, exalts Christ, is consistent with Scripture, comforts, challenges, gives you capacity, leads you to community, and confirms who you are. That's a bunch. Yeah. Okay, so have you noticed, quick shift, in this series, in this creed, we talked about God the Father, we talked about God the Son, and then now we're talking about God the Holy Spirit. So the creed, without saying it, has explained to you that God is a community. And we have a word for it, that he is Trinity. Tri-unity, that God is three and one. And we need, and I bring this up because we need to understand that, that God is a Trinity, because that's who God is. You need to know what you say you believe, and so it's right there. So we gotta bring it up and talk about it. And I want you, I want you to understand this fully, okay? Let me briefly explain the Trinity to you. Okay, so God is one essence, but three personalities. Now that sounds complicated. How can that be? That's, that's a contradiction, right? Like, but there is a difference between a being and a person. Okay, a being is that quality that makes you who you are or makes a thing what it is. A person is that which makes you who you are. Okay, so for example, I am a human being. That's what I am. Who I am is not a human being. Who I am is Mike DeLuca. What I am is heart, lungs, muscles, etc. That's not who I am. So you laugh at muscles? <laughs> she goes, muscles? <laughs> oh, that was great. <laughs> You can stay for the next service for that joke. That's good. (laughs) 
that's not, that's not who I am. <laughs> who I am, don't, don't laugh at this one, kind, caring, compassionate. Okay, I've got to go. <laughs> who I am is different from what I am. Humans happen to be one being and one person. God, however, is different. God is one being and three persons. You know, one what, three who's. Right? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Okay, so where did this term Trinity come from? You won't find that term anywhere in scriptures. And so some historians attribute it to Justin Martyr. He's an early Christian apologist and philosopher in 150 AD. Others attribute it to Tertullian. For all of you who want to look that up, that's a fun read. Another early church theologian. But this term helps describe to us what really is in the scriptures. As we watch God relate to himself and relate to us, you start to see that there is one God, and yet he's one God in one way, and he is three in another way, three distinct persons. You start to see it kind of shrouded in the Old Testament. This is where we're going to be a theology class for two minutes, okay? So don't check out. It's really cool. It's really important. Okay, you with me? Yeah, good. Okay, so you see it in the Trinity in places like the word one. So Deuteronomy 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, so what's interesting, in the language of Hebrew, there are two different words that translate as one. One is the word yadid, which means singularity. Like it's used in one and only son. But there is another word, echad, mm -hmm, which means composite unity. It was used in a man and a woman becoming one, composite unity. That is the Hebrew word always used of God. The Lord our God, the Lord is echad. Okay, so you also see it in the divine pronouns. This is where we get a class here. That from the very beginning in Genesis 1, God says, then God said, okay, singular, let us, plural, make man in our image. And we go, okay, which one is it? Is God in us or is God a him? And the answer, yes. He did it to Isaiah. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? So is he an I, or is he an us? It's bad grammar, but it's really good theology. We have one God in one way, but he is three in another. There you have it. Class over. Yay. There's the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. All distinct persons all God, all having different roles and different ways we commune, we relate to him, all in eternal community. But how does this help me <laughs> not feel like an orphan? How does this help you not feel like an orphan? Why can't we physically have Jesus right here with me right now? Because remember, Jesus tells his disciples it's better for him to go for him to leave and the Spirit to come. Don't worry, he says. I'm not leaving you as an orphan. I know you feel like it, but don't worry. I'm, I'm bringing you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to invite you into the party, like me at Friendsgiving. Get in there and grab a plate. Take that baby. Want some stuffing. 
Don't worry, you're not going to be the center of attention, but you're going to be nourished. Jesus tells us he's not leaving us spiritually alone. He's sending the Holy Spirit, and he's also not leaving us physically alone. We're invited into the spiritual family, and the closest way that we can experience this on earth earth is through God's church. This is the closest thing next to heaven. It's supposed to be this family of believers that doesn't leave me and you as spiritual orphans. And some of you have noticed that we also read today in the creed that we have been saying every week that we believe in the holy Catholic church. And some of you are probably going, wait, like what? What does that mean? Let me clear some confusion for you quickly. The term Catholic does not refer to a specific denomination or group. It does not mean Roman Catholicism. The term Catholic comes from two Greek words that together mean throughout the whole. So it means the universal church, the spiritual family. People have nothing in common being bound together in Christ. The Holy Spirit invites you into the family. Why is that important? The Holy Spirit does not leave you as a spiritual orphan, and it does not leave you as a physical orphan. He gives us each other, this spiritual family that gives us community and purpose. So the mission, our our purpose is twofold, okay? One, we exist as Christ's presence here on earth. Similar to Jesus, we ought to be the explanation of God. You and I, you, yes, you. You are the explanation of God. When people look at your life, they see how you live, how you're loved by God and love him back. They see the explanation of him. Why should I care about the church? Why commune with each other? You get to experience God through each other. The love for each other, the grace, the kindness extended towards one another to convince to comfort and remind each other of who you are. Jesus sends you the Spirit so that you can experience a God through one another. He gives you a spiritual family with purpose. And second, we are to be this new kingdom family, relating to one another in new kingdom ways. That's the reason why, why we gather as a church. You know, the reason we do all the fun programs and the small groups and the events and why we say gathering is important, because your presence matters. Communion with each other, communion with God. It's accurate what Jesus says to his disciples. We're not left as orphans. When you see this mission and purpose done right, that's how you can know that the Spirit of God is moving here. He builds the house. He knits us together. He builds the universal church. And formerly, different people become bound together. And when you see that, when you walk into that type of a community, you say, that's the glory of God. Nothing else does that. The Spirit loves community. See, I'm no longer an orphan guy walking around at Walmart. I'm no longer that guy. And neither are you. Why did Jesus say it'd be better for him to leave and the Spirit to come? Because he sent you the one who will help, who will be your advocate, who convicts you, you're not okay, but convinces you, but there's a cure. His name is Jesus. 
the one who exalts Christ in your life and continues to teach you about him, the one who comforts you with the grace of Jesus and the love of God and challenges you to be conformed to the image of Christ, and the one who reminds you who you are, you are his. You are not an orphan. He sent you the Spirit. Let's stand as we close.